Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. I really hope that you're off to a fantastic week so far. So let me tell you about a couple different things that I have going on before we get into today's episode. So some people have been asking in regards of when is the Rated R Safety Show going to come out? And it's kind of a fun show on what we're doing over there. So yes, it's already out. We're probably at this particular point. Let's see. I'm going to probably say we're on episode nine or 10, give or take, depending on what day you're listening to this. Um, Right now we have it set up where it's coming out on a daily basis. So hopefully if you haven't had the opportunity, you will have the opportunity of actually going and taking a listen to that. You can find it on any of your favorite podcatchers or you can go to the Rated R Safety Show. Matter of fact, that's a lie. You can go to RatedRSafetyShow.com. That's RatedRSafetyShow.com. Kind of a fun time. Definitely different than our flagship show here. It's more along the lines of, you know, just some different twists on how we're taking a look at safety at that particular point. Besides that, some people have been asking what other events I do have coming up. Towards the end of September, I have an event going on with Sheldon Primus, and this will actually be taking place in Colorado. So if you go to the website, safetyfm.com, some, there's some more information right there. It'll get you into the link and get you up to the sign-up page on where that event is actually taking place. And then also, of course, people have been asking about the shirts. Or the, yes, they are still available. Go to safetyfm.com, and there's a section on there that says shirts. We have some different shirts for the different shows that we do have on Safety FM. So go ahead and take a look at those. Enjoy them. Go ahead and order them, and let me know what you think. So today's episode's pretty interesting. We're going to have an interview with Martha Acosta. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is not exactly how this originally was planned out. I'm actually doing an interview with Todd Conklin. And this is kind of like a follow-up interview to something else that me and him were going to discuss about podcasting. That's how the conversation started. So I don't want you to think that it was part of the you and an organizational episodes or the interviews that I was doing directly with Todd. So we're having a conversation and all of a sudden you hear on his door and it was Martha Acosta and boy, am I glad that she stepped in when she did because I was able to have the opportunity to interview Martha for today's episode. So take a listen here today on Safety FM. Hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com. Talk to her for a minute. It's a good idea. Actually, this works really. <laughs> this worked out well. <laughs> well, Martha, the funny part is that me and Todd had spoken in the past in regards of trying to get you on, but we just haven't made the contact yet. So I'm glad that you are going into this forced opportunity. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Uh, I just, it's just that I walk my dog past. Uh, past Todd's house and my dog knows when Todd is here. Oh, nice. She has a Todd signal. (laughs) (laughs) One of the rare few that knows where exactly Todd's at. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Exactly. That's why, that's why this dog is so important. (laughs) The only, the only creature on the planet that can actually identify where Todd is at any time. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess Martha, let's start off. So sure. you're, you're coming to, to talk to Todd, and he says you have something new that's coming about. What exactly was he referencing? Well, 
Um, I, well, we were going to talk a little bit about a study that I, I was, I'm working on, but one of the things that we've been talking about a lot is the importance of emotional resilience in leaders in order to create psychological safety, in order to create safer environments. And so my background is in doing leadership development for donkey's years. And, um, and for the last seven years, I've been working with the corporate learning side of Harvard Business School, developing leadership programs. And I have the privilege of interacting with people like Amy Edmondson and Robin Ely and other Harvard Business School professors and learning about some of their new research, some of the research that they've been doing. Uh, so one of the things uh, recently at working with Robin Ely, she was talking about research that she does, and she is focused on gender. And it's, it's a, it was funny because it was an accidental safety study. She actually went to go and study macho behavior in the workplace. And she thought, where can I go and find really macho behavior? Oh, I'll go to oil rigged um, platforms out <laughs> in the ocean. It's all, all men. So she went to go study that behavior. And when she first went out and did a bit of a case study, she identified a lot of macho behavior, that, you know, gendered behavior. And then before the first time she went and the second time she went, they implemented a uh, safety culture change program. And she was completely shocked at how much the uh, people's behavior changed based on that. And basically what the safety culture program was asking them to do was to listen to each other, to talk about their feelings, uh, to ask uh, open-ended questions. All of these things that, you know, from, from Robin Ely's world is, is more feminine behavior, although I kind of disagree with that. Um, she, she recognized that things, behaviors that are usually seen as entrenched as part of our very own identities can actually change based on concerted efforts by the organization to change the behavior within the organization and creating a psychologically safe work environment and a place where leaders are free to be authentic and free to talk about what they don't know. So, um, so it, it seems to be, it's, a, it's kind of amazing that in the, in the rest of the academic world and in other different fields, um, scholars are, are finding how important this is and they're running into it, uh, running into the importance of safety programs without even trying. <laughs> So do you think that this is an overall culture change for this particular organization, or do you think that it's mostly focusing just on the safety aspect of it as they're moving forward? Well, they were, they were rolling out a safety program. I, she didn't know a lot about it, and so, um, and so in her paper, she doesn't have um, specific details of the safety program. She was just amazed that there was a culture change program that could actually change people's gender behaviors which she saw as being much more entrenched in, in people's identities. What I got from that, from my perspective, is just how important uh, a change in leadership, emotional intelligence and emotional resiliency starts driving, um, 
safer behaviors and more open behaviors in an organization, even when, um, even when there's this idea of, you know, our identity is all around this, this sort of, you know, masculine behavior. Our identity is all around being right. Our identity is all around, um, you know, not talking about our feelings. What really struck me is that, that we can really change that in organizations and it can have a huge impact. Well, how much do you think emotional intelligence plays into a culture lately? I mean, let's kind of look back. If we go back into like late 80s, early 90s, it's more of a male-dominated industry. You can't say, I'm sorry. You can't say, I don't know this answer. And it's kind of frowned upon if you do. And now it seems like we've been having kind of this big shift on going where, hey, let's kind of think about some things differently. And really sometimes even leaders being able to open up and say, hey, I don't understand this, or maybe I don't even know what the correct idea is. And then going out into the field, are you seeing this being a common trend moving forward? Yeah, I think it is. Um, I've been working uh, doing leadership emotional intelligence classes for, for years and years. I first started getting involved in that in 2008. And at first, there was a lot more resilience, uh, uh, not, so a lot more resistance. People saying, no, no, we can't possibly talk about our feelings. And generally, I tend to work in scientific organizations and in engineering organizations. My you know, beginning background is in Silicon Valley, so those tend to be the companies that I work with. And so it is a very um, geeky, <laughs> uh, very male um, and generally not stereotypically the sorts of groups that we would see would be comfortable talking about their feelings. But because emotional intelligence has uh, really gotten a lot of, I, a lot of uh, research has been done there, we keep finding over and over again that if organizations develop the emotional intelligence of their leaders, the performance of their teams improves. They don't even have to focus on the emotional intelligence of their teams. They just have to focus on the leadership. And I'm a big believer that um, safety is a fundamental condition for all performance, whether it's uh, efficiency performance, whether it's productivity performance, um, however you measure performance, whether it's profitability, safety is is an underlying um, necessity for performance in an organization. Well, as you, say, as you say underlying, I want to point that out in particular. So are you disagreeing with the, some uh, with how some other organizations will turn around and say, we have a safety management system separately, we have a safety program separately, and they don't incorporate it into the overall organization? Yes, I, I do disagree with that. It shouldn't be a separate system. And, and really, human systems and organizational systems, you can't, uh, we're dealing with the complex systems, right? So uh, they're nested. They influence each other. And when we have conflicting values and different systems that workers are moving within, you start to create uh, a lot of dissonance for them. That's when sort of the paradoxes of management start arising. That's where people start getting stuck. That's where they start getting frustrated and thinking, you know, I can't win because these different systems are, are, are bringing up all of these conflicts for me um, and I can't make sense of what I'm really supposed to do. 
it's that same sort of frustration. I understand why organizations move to metric systems. It's so important for organizations to be resilient and nimble. But if you've ever been in an organization that starts moving to a matrix system and you have all of those conflicting priorities, there is a period in which people are just stuck and generally pissed off. Well, and as you look at this, do people ask the question on how you can quantify this change going on inside of an organization? How do you quantify it? Right. Um, you know, I have a, a friend, a good friend who has a consulting firm in Philadelphia, who she came from being a, 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 a CHRO. And that because she came from the uh, pharmaceutical industry, that grew really rapidly through acquisition. She started paying attention to trying to quantify the human aspect of that. And why is it that 90% or some crazy number like that of mergers and acquisitions or organizational processes fail? And it's because we're we're paying attention. um, we're, We're focused on the certain numbers that we're trying to get through the acquisition that have an impact on our bottom line or have an impact on our stock price and we're not paying attention to the human aspects of it and it's hard to measure the human aspects of things we have so many organizations that are you know great places to work and all of those sorts of things where people are reporting back but that reporting aspect depends on um the psychological safety of the organization you know whether whether people feel that it's okay to to <laughs> to to really uh, out some of the problems that they're experiencing, whether or not people feel that it's valid even to pay attention to their emotional reaction to changes in the organization. So our focus on out sort of quantitatively being able to measure outcomes has probably had a big impact in driving down some of the factors that are so important to psychological safety and emotional resilience. Now, as you're, as you're doing this study, and you say that you've been doing this for 11 years, teaching it now, now, when you start looking into this, what drove you to go down this path? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's actually, a, uh, it's actually, you know, goes back to when Todd and I were working together at Los Alamos. So when we were working together at Los Alamos, there was, it was really pretty traumatic for us. Um, the lab was shut down. Oh, they were experiencing, we were experiencing uh, all sorts of safety and security issues. There was a certain level of hysteria that started happening, uh, not only within the laboratory, but within um, all of the regulating bodies and, and Congress. Um, because we had uh, gone th- through the Wen Li scandal, um, because of all of the, the sort of reasons that put a lot of scrutiny on an organization. And Pete Nanos, um, I think Vice Admiral Pete Nanos, um, was, had taken the helm of Los Alamos. And he was, you know, brought there to bring about sort of a, a military sternness to really shake these scientists up and get them to start being safe. <laughs> and um, there was this great bumper sticker because everyone at Los Alamos is, is brilliant and witty. Uh, there was this great 
bumper sticker that showed up one day and it said, work free, safe zone. And, you know, <laughs> it's a beautifully ironic, hilarious bumper sticker. Um, Pete Banos saw that and lost his shit, basically. <laughs> uh, and there were... And I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but there was soon after that, soon after he saw that and expressed his dislike for that, he pulled together an all-hands meeting where he famously called everyone in the laboratory cowboys and buttheads and um, threatened everyone that said, you know, if you don't want to be safe, you don't have to work here. And he created a very psychologically unsafe environment. Um, he demonstrated his lack of emotional intelligence. He demonstrated his lack of cognitive complexity, which is another um, another construct that I'm very interested in in my study. Uh, and he wasn't able to see, cognitive complexity means being able to see a social situation from lots of different points of view, um, to be able, ultimately, I think it's very important to be able to, to question your own thinking. Um, in order to, to solve problems well. Uh, and he just dealt with this with a blunt stick. And our safety performance um, went downhill. Um, the laboratory hurt the student, which was tragic. And the lab, and then Piana shut down the laboratory. But then Todd and I were involved in, in several different efforts to bring the laboratory back up, particularly... Uh, we were both working for NMT, which was the, the nuclear materials technology side. And so, um, of course, our area was, was dealing <laughs> with very hazardous materials. But we had to deal with the, psycho, the lack of psychological safety. We had to deal with the emotional trauma that happened in, in that situation. And that's when I really started to realize that the emotional aspect of this can no longer be in what timeline are we talking about roughly on when this occurred? Uh, it was 2003, 2004, right, Todd? Yeah, yeah. I think it was like 2004 when, when the laboratory got shut down. It was shut down for um, almost a year, and it cost the taxpayers millions and millions. So as you move forward with your study, and then especially come after coming out of something like that, when you look at this whole scenario on where we're at now in 2019, what are the biggest changes that you've seen overall in the industry? Uh, I've seen a lot of big changes as far as um, leadership um, in, in, in the organizations that I work with, sort of more manufacturing organizations. They're really trying to uh, promote a sort of authentic leadership. And there is less of this belief that the leader needs to be the person who knows it all, but rather that the leader is someone who can ask good questions and start driving uh, everyone to really looking at operations critically, which is absolutely essential to safety. Um, I think we're starting to see that the rigidity of operations does not create safety because the world around us isn't rigid. The conditions around us are unpredictable. So people are starting to understand the importance of looking at systems as complex 
um, and being able to prepare for those contingencies. Uh, agility has been a word that's been really big uh, in the business world for a long time because of the volatility of uh, markets, because of globalization and all of that. And industry, high hazard industries have had less of that market influence. Um, but now they're seeing the importance of agility when it applies to, to safety. And so those sorts of critical thinking skills, which I think link also to emotional resiliency. Um, I think organizations are ready for this message and leaders are ready to understand that when you are working with other human beings, all of you is there. All of them is there. Their emotions are driving their behavior and driving their decision-making. And if we ignore them, then we're ignoring an important part of human factors. And I guess let me ask you this question then. When you start seeing some of these organizations that are, let's say, very macho-driven, as you had stated earlier in the conversation, and then some that are fe very female-driven, and now we're running into organizations are really running into a whole demo where they want to be known as binary. How do you think that that will actually have an impact going forward? <laughs> I think that that will have a good impact. I mean, I, I one of the things that I said before is I don't really buy into um, sort of this gender view of behavior so much. Uh, I, I've worked with women leadership programs and what, I, what I've found by talking to women leaders is they feel like they have to behave more macho than men do, that they are even less allowed to express their feelings um, because they're worried about following into any kinds of stereotype. I think it's important even to go beyond the binary and just to, to be fully integrated as leaders. And that full integration of um, emotional aspects of yourself, rational aspects of yourself, being able to bring in all of your different identities to work are ultimately going to help your organization become more resilient. So um, beyond just sort of a gendered view of things, we all have lots of different identities. We're all very complex people. And all of that learning that we do as, as parents uh, and as um, athletes and as all of the, as artists, all of that learning is ultimately going to help the performance of your organization. So if people wanted more information on what would be considered next steps, what, where would you lead them? Well, I, I would lead them over to Todd's consortium. There's um, several of us involved in that with very different skill sets. I'm going to be joining Todd's consortium soon. I owe him a web page. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think one of the first places to start, and you know, just when we started with, I guess we called it um, HPI back then. Now it's called Hop. Now all of we started out with sort of fundamentals classes, right, and getting everybody to understand the model. I think with emotional resiliency and psychological safety in organizations, having um, leaders understand that basic framework in those models is very important. And then um, it's an ongoing practice because 
our <laughs> the emotional parts of our brain, our um, our non conscious parts of our brain, our limbic system is operating in our background, and so um, it mindfulness becomes an important part of developing your emotional resiliency, and that requires ongoing practice, um, just like developing yourself as an athlete, um, doing yoga, uh, doing meditation. You can't sort of learn how to do it and then do it. You actually have to practice it all the time because the how isn't complicated. It's the, um, it's the mindfulness that's, that's important. So leaders in order to develop in, in organizations and workers in order to develop their emotional resiliency need tools to, um, that they can use in difficult situations that'll continue to train them to behave in a more emotionally intelligent way. Well, that almost, almost, almost makes me want to ask the question about more along the lines of headspace. So do you think that if there is a, we'll say, quote unquote, an altercation between management and a high-end leader or C-suite person, should they ask for a moment to kind of gather their thoughts? Or how do you think that should proceed forward? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, that's, I think, one of the most important, that's a sort of a, a basic skill. Let's say there you're dealing with a conflict. The worst conflicts are conflicts that are unspoken. Um, it's it's when everybody is acting polite on the surface. Um, you have a contentious meeting, but no one acts like it's a contentious meeting. And then there's the meetings after the meeting. Then there's the, the people talking to each other. There's the knowing looks. There's all of that sort of stuff. Then you're dealing with all of these different conflicting um, narratives that start creating a lot of, of potential conflict and people heading in different directions. Um, so absolutely, let's say, I think it's actually great if, if it gets to the point where there's an altercation that's actually heated and it can't be avoided, then yes, absolutely, stop, take a moment, um, calm yourself down. But then I think organizations and leaders, then they then they think, well, well what next? Are there processes for us to to be able to get together, come back from these moments without ignoring them and actually learn from them. And yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there are so many different um, techniques and ways to do it. But, uh, it's just a matter of taking, of really paying attention to what's happening in the world of psychology, whether it's neuropsychology or cognitive behavioral psychology um, and and actually bring some of those tools into the working world and for us to recognize that we that's another tool that's box or tool belt that we need to have if we're going to be um, effective, safe, productive workers and leaders. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because there's a lot of conversations that I have with people and sometimes there are even conversations that I have on the podcast, but it's after we're done recording. And I see a lot of people run into the whole conversation where they want to start talking about the psychology of what the work environment is causing to them. So I talk with a lot of safety professionals where they'll turn around and either talk about them being depressed or they'll talk about suicidal thoughts because of not feeling the love, I guess, for the position that they're in in regards of an organization. And it seems to be a lot of people are interested in that conversation, but not a lot of people have the guts to have that conversation in public because of what's going to be thought of them. So do you think that part of this emotional intelligence could be part of that, or this particular piece could be part of the conversation? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It, it's, it really, it, I think that that's so important. And I think the pressure on safety professionals is tremendous. I mean, I know that after Todd and I <laughs> went through everything that happened at the laboratory, I went to another organization, I was working at a, at a university, and I actually felt like I had some PTSD after that, you know? Things would happen, there would be organizations, conversations about organizational problems, and you know, that's what I deal with, I deal with organizational problems, but I would actually feel sort of this panic in doing my job because of being in such a psychologically unsafe environment for that period of time. And I knew that, and really a lot of this came about, I knew that I needed, if I were going to be effective in my job, I needed to be able to manage myself and my own emotions and deal with the stress of, the, of, of this work. Because, you know, Todd, even more so, he deals with extra, uh, extremely stressful situations. We're parachuting into situations where there's been a fatality or, um, in Todd's case, or more in my case, there's a major reorganization happening. Um, and we need to be able to manage that stress. There's all of the stress and the anxiety coming from people all around us. Um, and we need to be able to think clearly and influence clearly and make sure that the leaders in that organization are able to think clearly. So, yes, absolutely. Emotional intelligence uh, teaches, us, teaches us skills for self-regulation um, and self-awareness, which is very important. Um, when we, as safety professionals, go into a situation, our being able to manage our own stress, our own panic, our own fight-and-flight response, because those are absolutely normal, but our, our being able to manage that allows us to make better decisions and also the the emotions are contagious so someone comes in as as an expert and they're helping people manage that situation and their emotions are out of control they're panicked they're scared they are going to influence everybody else in that situation as well and the thing is that we do it unconsciously Um, we're hardwired to feel other people's emotions and, um, and those emotions arise from a part of our brain, which is non-conscious. So if we're not managing our own uh, emotional well-being, we can't create an environment where others can make good decisions in, in, these, you know, in these very stressful situations that we work in. Well, I'm going to tell you that I think that you're hitting on something that's very crucial right now in the industry because there's so many people that are talking about it behind the scenes. So I'm going to I'm going to encourage you strongly to get that web page up onto that consortium um, to get that moving because I really believe that there's a lot of people that want to have that conversation and they don't know where to start. And that's really a lot of the things that need to be pushed currently because how do you start that conversation but not going through management? Maybe it's going through somebody else on the outside. And I think that that makes it easier for people at least starting off. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I working with uh, a small group of leaders is great. For a while when I started teaching emotional intelligence classes, um, it would be offered sort of broadly. And you know, it always works out that way. Organizations think, you know, it's, it's everybody else who really needs this learning. It's not us leaders who need this learning and and you probably have this experience i know todd and i have this experience 
with the safety classes, uh, everybody at some point raises their hand and says, when does my manager get this class, <laughs> right? And so we start talking about shifts that need, need to happen um, and, and really the higher up in the organization. And it, well, actually, actually, I think it's middle managers that need to go first. Um, well, I, I think the middle manager is a very interesting spot because, of course, there it depends on how the the organization is actually structured. But that middle management has to report to the leadership, and he knows what the C level people have the buy in at that particular moment. And then, if you're trying to have people convert over, let's say, for human and organizational performance, that are actually the line level people, but the C level people are not there, it becomes a very difficult conversation, especially for middle management, because. I'm not going to say which master you use, but it's also where do you where do you align yourself? Because you have to keep in mind that the people that are in the C suite are controlling that middle management's check one way, shape, or form. Exactly, exactly. But the people in the C suite are looking at it from a very different point of view. The vantage point that the middle manager has is they're being influenced by the C suite in a strategic direction, and that strategic direction is really important. Uh, ultimately, the workers on the ground, what they're doing is they're executing strategy. Um, but people in the C Street are looking so far ahead and they're looking so broadly that they're not they're not always aware of the details of what happens going on. And really, when we're talking about emotions and, and psychological safety, we're dealing at a very macro level. Um, and that's not something that the C Suite really is in their in their purview. They're looking at outcomes and consequences, and that's and that's fine, right? The middle manager is in between the two. They're looking at the outcomes and the consequences, but they're also managing the supervisors who are supervising the people on the ground. And they're the ones that have to, you know, to square the circle. They're the ones that have to find what are the connections between these competing priorities and how do we, how do we ultimately make all of this work? Um, and so that's why I think they're the first people that really we need to pay attention to. They are um, <laughs> really stressed generally, but that's generally the level with the Harvard um, the Harvard programs that I moderate. That's generally the level that we're working with, and it's they have a very interesting and unique point of view, um, and they are also are very stressed, and they also need some support and some love. <laughs> Well, Martha, I know my audience is going to want to actually be able to contact you one way, shape, or form. Is the best way to actually reach out to you currently then via LinkedIn for the time being? Yeah, via LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm connected to Todd and connected to a lot of people on the safety network. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And so, and Todd's this reminding me. This is the big one, Jay. This is the big one. So, Uh-oh. I'm not ready for this yet. I have IRB approval, but I'm doing a study. SafetyFM.com. Don't you hate when you're listening to something or watching something and all of a sudden you have a cliffhanger and it doesn't make sense on why there's a cliffhanger? Guess what? There's a cliffhanger. And the next portion of the interview, she said not to release it yet. So I'm going to follow those instructions and we're not going to release it. So if you want to know more about Martha, you can go to her LinkedIn page, go to thehophub.org or martika.com. I'm sure you're going to find what you're looking for there. That's the continuation to this particular conversation. But at the time, we were unable to release the information. I know I normally don't torture people in that fashion. But unfortunately, this is how we're going to have to end it. Anyways, thank you for listening to Safety FM. 
I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen. And until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com.